This is Common Threads, an interfaith dialogue. I'm Fred Stella, President of the Interfaith Dialogue Association. Welcome to another edition of Common Threads. Among the various things I do includes traveling mostly here in the United States to various conferences and meetings and seminars, etc. And when I talk about the interfaith scene here in West Michigan, people are surprised. People are impressed. A lot of people have very little understanding of what Grand Rapids and Greater West Michigan really is and the kind of work we do. Some people know a little bit about Western Michigan, and that actually prejudices them uh, against them thinking that we have a progressive interfaith movement. Well, we are pleased to say that a book has recently been published by the Aspen Institute called Interfaith Engagement in West Michigan, A Brief History and Analysis. And in this uh, short book, about 84 pages, including notes, uh, is exactly what it says it is. A brief history, it talks about where we came from, where we are now, and where we are projected to be. The Aspen Institute... Uh, retained the services of Joseph DeMott to handle much of this project, and we have him online to talk about the book and his impressions of the interfaith movement here in West Michigan, uh, the organization's Interfaith Dialogue Association, Kaufman Interfaith Institute, and um, everything else that makes this magical scene of interfaith engagement right here in Grand Rapids and Greater West Michigan. A little bit about our guest, Joseph DeMott. He is project manager of the Inclusive America Project, an initiative of the Aspen Institute Justice and Society Program. He's a native of West Michigan, and Joe graduated magna cum laude with a B.A. in Philosophy and Theology from Notre Dame in 2010 and magna cum laude with an M.A. in Comparative Religious Studies from Hebrew University of Jerusalem in 2012. And this fall, he'll be entering Stanford Law School as a member of the class of 2018. So we welcome to Common Threads, Joe DeMott. Hi, Joe. Hey, Fred. Thanks for having me on the show. Certainly. So I'm just curious, first thing, are you aware of of how um, insignificant and diminished you make the rest of us mortals feel when you come out with a, a, a bio like that? I mean, well, not not a lot other than uh, a couple of academic degrees. Honestly, I feel like kind of a greenhorn compared to all the experience that uh, the folks I interviewed for this project have. Yeah, 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 Mister Modest too. I bet you even have a hot wife. Come on, <laughs> jeez, oh, I have a lovely I have a lovely wife, and uh, she just gave birth to a healthy baby boy a month ago. Yeah, and I bet she's going to look fine on the beach in about two weeks. That's great. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> Thank you. You've just made my life worth living. Uh, Listen, uh, I've got a a couple of disclaimers. First of all, Joe and I had an interview several months ago as as part of his book. He talked to me about Interfaith Dialogue Association, and he talked to several people about it. Um, And also, uh, I am mentioned in the book, and there is 
as I said, quite a bit about IDA. Some of the questions that I might ask you, Joe, I probably have a good guess as how to your, how you're going to answer. Uh, but nonetheless, this is all about getting information out. So I'm, I'm very happy that you're here. Well, Joe, tell me this. How did the Aspen Institute develop an interest in the interfaith movement here in West Michigan? Well, it's kind of a funny story, Fred, and perhaps a bit of a long story. Um, the Inclusive America Project, which is the Aspen Institute program on religious diversity, was started back in 2011. Um, it kind of came out of conversations that Merrill Chertoff, the executive director of the Justice and Society program at the Institute, had with people from uh, government, from the education sector, uh, religious leaders, people who work in social service settings, um, and people from all these different sorts of professional and faith backgrounds expressed a lot of concern about the negative tone of our discourse about religious uh, diversity, specifically all of the negativity surrounding the Ground Zero Mosque Project, as it was called, and um, just uh, hate speech against American Muslims and other minorities. So um, in 2012, we got together a very distinguished group of individuals uh, about 25 people co-chaired by former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright and uh, Professor David Gergen of the Harvard Kennedy School. And um, this group met at our D.C. offices, uh, two full-day convenings, and corresponded um, via phone and email over the course of several months. We put together um, a white paper titled Principled Pluralism. It was about practical strategies for positively engaging America's religious diversity without kind of effacing um, the very real differences that exist between different religious groups. So um, that was published in June 2013, and uh, after that we went on to work with the YMCA of the USA and the Boys and Girls Clubs, looking at how religious diversity affects the the work of youth development professionals. And then it was really just in mid-2014, we had an event um, with Professor David Campbell of Notre Dame, uh, who is the co-author of American Grace with Robert Putnam, and who was a contributor to our uh, initial report. Uh, Dr. Campbell came out to Aspen, Colorado, did an event um, where he spoke about religious diversity and its implications. And Sylvia Kaufman, who is... um, a West Michigan native and has been involved in the interfaith scene there for a long time, was actually at that event and approached um, uh, Merrill Chertoff, my boss, and said, uh, have you looked at what we're doing in West Michigan? And actually at the time, we were interested in doing a detailed case study highlighting a particular region of the country. We hadn't decided exactly where that would be. I happened to be from West Michigan myself, and when we did some... um, sort of delving into what has gone on in West Michigan, we decided that it was a great fit uh, for this study. And we're very happy that you did. Uh, so clearly, your, uh, your being from here uh, nudged things in this direction. Absolutely. And, and also, uh, uh, in the interest of disclosure, I had to say that we did have um, some financial support from uh, the Kaufman Foundation. That helps, too. Always helps. Yeah, ab- absolutely. <laughs> and, and so you, you were already employed by the Aspen Institute at that time. That's right. And I had actually already um, applied to Stanford Law School and gotten in. And um, when we found out that we could do this project, I thought, well, let's 
stick around at the Institute for one more year and uh, do a little bit of research about the part of the country I came from. And when, when you were told, hey, we've got this wonderful interfaith project for you, how much did you know, how much were you aware of what was going on in, in uh, Grand Rapids? Or, or was this just uh, a great surprise for you as well? I'll be honest, it was kind of a surprise. Um, You know, you said in your introduction that oftentimes people who know something about West Michigan are sort of uh, prejudiced against it, or or I I wouldn't say prejudiced, I would say maybe don't expect to find a robust interfaith movement, um, just given the the fact that it's been such a um, strongly conservative Christian area um, for so many years, you know, founded by the Dutch Reformed. And, I mean, growing up in Holland, there was just very little religious diversity. I was actually the only Catholic in my graduating class of about 250 at Holland Christian High School. Everyone else was um, Protestant, uh, either Christian Reformed or Westland or some denomination or another. So I really um, did not expect... uh, Honestly, I I moved away at age 18. Um, I didn't realize how much diversity has come into West Michigan in the past couple of decades. And I certainly did not know very much about um, all that's gone on in, on the interfaith scene in Grand Rapids. Sure, sure. So what was the methodology you used for your, for your report? Uh, I, I mean, I, I remember you contacting me, saying, hey, let's, let's sit down and have a conversation. Um, was that primarily how you, how you come up with your report, with the book? Well, it was a mixture um, of research, it, research on all sorts of um, social science data about demographics in the U.S., also demographics in West Michigan, um, you know, data on what communities have shown up here in the last 20 years, um, and also a lot of things just published in the Grand Rapids Press. Um, the Year of Interfaith Understanding was very well documented. Um, I was able to get my hands on some kind of archival material about um, a celebration of Muskegon's Jewish community that took place in the late 1980s. And then, yeah, I conducted about 20 face-to-face interviews with people um, such as yourself who've been very involved in, in what's going on in West Michigan. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's start from the beginning in, in the process. So you were hired by Aspen Sylvia Kaufman and the, the Kaufman Institute uh, was, uh, or, or was it the Kaufman Institute, or was it the Kaufman Foundation, or, or personally? It was, it was Sylvia and Dick Kaufman. Sylvia, okay, Sylvia and Dick Kaufman. They, they helped financially support this project. You uh, come to West Michigan and uh, uh, perform your research, your interviews, etc. What, what did you find... In, in the very early stages of your uh, of your interviews and your research, uh, I'm assuming you found that oh, there, there's this this scene that I really wasn't aware of. Um, did you also find uh, blowback? Did you also find a, a, a counter movement? Um, honestly, I didn't find very much of a counter movement. I certainly found people who were critical of um, certain aspects of how interfaith engagement has been done in West Michigan, but I wouldn't say there was any sort of organized movement um, opposing it. And, you know, I mean, I I asked a lot of people who uh, have been leading it, or, you know, folks like uh, Paul Keep, who was um, the executive director of MLive.com, and 
that, you know, the Grand Rapids Press and MLive, you published so many stories about interfaith events going on in West Michigan. You were one of the sponsors of the Year of Interfaith Understanding. Did you get negative comments from readers? Did, did you get a lot of um, blowback? And he said, no, you know, hardly, hardly any at all. Yeah, that's impressive. If you're just joining us, you're listening to WGVU's Common Threads. I'm Fred Stella, and we're talking about interfaith engagement in West Michigan, A Brief History and Analysis, a book that has just come out, published by the Aspen Institute, and uh, its author, uh, Joseph DeMott, is with me. Is it is it fair to call you the author? Because you're not listed as an author here. You, you, don't, you don't have a byline, but you, you did. You are responsible for... Uh, all of these sentences. <laughs> uh, well, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't claim no? responsibility as the author. You know, the way that we publish things at the Aspen Institute is much more collaborative. Um, I got a lot of input and support from my colleagues Meryl Chertoff and Michael Green, um, and actually Charles Honey, who I know you know, um, was a longtime religion editor of the Grand Rapids Press. Uh, Charles uh, edited this book, so. Uh, I, I don't think I'd claim credit as the author, but I did do uh, a lot of the research and writing. Okay, okay, fair enough. So let's uh, let's talk about some of the history. Uh, let's begin in Muskegon uh, for for right now. What sure. happened? What happened in? Um, I believe it was the 1980s with the uh, with the dialogue that started to surface there. Absolutely. Well, it's an interesting story, and this is really where um, Sylvia Kaufman comes in. Um, she was the chairperson of the Jewish Centennial Celebration, which took place uh, kind of the academic year 1988 to 1989. And it started off as really a pretty modest vision to um, have some sort of exhibit at a local museum celebrating 100 years of Jewish presence in Muskegon. And then it, it really snowballed. Um, the director of that museum, I believe it was Bruce Eldridge, suggested to Sylvia that she invite other public institutions, you know, libraries, um, the symphony, um, uh, other museums, to, to get involved, and, and other churches um, in the area to get involved. And um, it really turned into this pretty large-scale, year-long celebration with over 60 events that were aimed at educating people about Muskegon's Jewish community and Judaism more broadly, and also at building goodwill between people of uh, different faiths. But, but in Muskegon, that pretty much meant this small Jewish community and then a, a variety of Christian and Catholic denominations. Right, right. And then uh, 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 Reverend Richard Rem, uh, uh, I believe at some point the two of them, Sylvia Kaufman and uh, Reverend Rem, come into contact. And, and that, that was a catalyst, wasn't it? Um, yeah, you know, I actually didn't, um, I was, I, I did not manage to interview Reverend Rem for this report, but I know he was quite involved, and I, I, and I think what you're referring to is that, um, after, at the end of this year-long celebration, uh, people got together and said, you know, this has been so great, let's not let this just die out. Let's, um, put some of the money that has been raised that's left over, toward having um, triennial Jewish-Christian dialogues and towards doing some smaller events uh, in the interim. And after, oh, I'm trying to think, I think it was in the late 90s or maybe the early 2000s, those dialogues moved over to Grand Rapids, and they actually continue to this day under the auspices of the Kaufman Interfaith Institute at Grand Valley State. That That is correct, and that is a direct outgrowth of 
the Jewish Christian dialogue uh, in, uh, in, in Muskegon. And now it has morphed into the Jewish Christian Muslim dialogue. Uh, the the, uh, the Abrahamic religions uh, are always now represented at the triennial uh, conferences. Right. But, exactly. Yep. Yep. And then and then here in Grand Rapids again, I kind of know a, a little bit of the, uh, myself, but I much prefer your take on it because you really sat down. You 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 your your view of this, your understanding is actually more studied than mine because. Uh, I did not live through the early, the earliest years of Interfaith Dialogue Association. I came a little bit later, uh, and you had the good fortune. I believe you spoke to all three women, Marcin Reinstra, uh, Lillian Siegel, and Ghazala Manir, right? Uh, you know, I don't think I actually spoke to Reverend Reinstra. I, wrote, I read some things that she had published, and I did speak to uh, Lillian and Ghazala. Yeah. Okay, so, so from, from that standpoint... Uh, how do you see Interfaith Dialogue Association birthing? Well, really, I mean, uh, as they described it to me, it was uh, Reverend um, Reverend Reinstra and Rabbi Siegel, which is Lillian Siegel's late husband, um, knew each other, were both interested in interfaith dialogue, and after Rabbi Siegel passed away, um, Lillian decided that she was going to get together with um, Reverend Reinstra and then Ghazala Munir from the Muslim community to start an interfaith dialogue association. And so it began very organically with this Jewish woman, Christian woman, and Muslim woman uh, who all had an interest in it. And um, they would meet in the Siegel's living room, and they'd work through a, a text um, about the world's religions, and they would use the, uh, the dialogue decalogue, uh, which is um, sort of ground rules for interfaith dialogue, uh, published by Leonard Swidler at the Dialogue Institute. And yeah, so, so this very organic process of um, a few interested individuals getting together for dialogue. Sure, and and it does. It is worth noting that uh, Rabbi Siegel, the the uh, gentleman who uh, spearheaded, or rather, who led the Ahavas Israel Synagogue here in Grand Rapids for several years. Uh, was very interfaith-oriented, and he was a Jewish rabbi who, which I realize may sound redundant, uh, he was a rabbi who had a, a graduate degree in New Testament studies. Not something right. you find a lot of. And, and, right. and we've, done, we've done a couple of shows in the, in the past few years about his work, and it really is, uh, has been considered extremely important work in both the Jewish and Christian communities. Um, did, uh, when you were discussing these things with, uh, Lillian and Ghazala, did they mention any challenges in the early years of, of, of any note? Uh, well, let me think back to those conversations. I mean, overall, they were just quite positive with how, um, enthusiastic the participants were. Um, I know one challenge that Lillian mentioned was just that uh, the participants in these dialogues tended to be theological liberals. Um, I, I don't really have a better term than that. There weren't many people who would self-define as religious conservatives. There weren't many, if, if any, evangelical Christians. Um, and so in a way, I think that made the dialogue uh, less rich. But I also think Lillian would say that that was sort of where they were at at that stage, that was what was appropriate. Um, and it would have been impossible to begin with um, 
every different viewpoint represented when they were just sort of trying to learn the basics of um, each other's faith traditions. Yeah, I, I agree, absolutely. It uh, And I started to become involved in the early 90s after IDA had gotten its footing, had already put on a couple of conferences, and uh, I noticed right away in the living room dialogue group that I was a part of, which had grown considerably since it was just... Uh, uh, Lillian Gazala and uh, Marcin Reinstra. Marcin had already had already uh, moved on to a different part of her life. She was not not a part of the dialogue group when when I was there. And mm-hmm. what was interesting, Joe, is that you often found the most disagreement within the traditions. So, for instance, Lil- Lillian, although she was a member of a, a conservative synagogue. Um, there were uh, two other Jews from the same synagogue, but were more conservative-conservative, if you will. Not conservative, the movement within Judaism, but conservative in their view of, of Judaism. And you would find much more debate going on amongst those three than you would with Lillian and, say, the Christians or the Muslims. You, you know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, that's really something we found in our broader research at the Aspen Institute. Um, I think I mentioned this uh, in kind of the introduction of the report on West Michigan, where I'm talking about the national scene. There are really three sort of lines of tension that uh, we would identify. One is between um, religious people and non-religious people. And as the number of Americans who do not identify with any religious faith has uh, grown, it's now over 20 percent, it's really skyrocketed in the past couple decades, that line of division is um, sometimes pretty sharp. The second that we point to is um, interfaith, you know, between the world religions like Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Christianity, etc. And then the third sort of line of division is that intrafaith um, line, and that is often, as you say, where some of the most... uh, bitter and heated uh, disagreements take place. Sure, sure. Uh, Joe, we're coming down the wire uh, for this particular segment of Common Threads, but uh, I have many more questions to ask. I'm hoping you'll join us again next week. Um, but before we leave, uh, any, um, any suggestions, people who might be interested in a copy of this book? Now, I was going to offer that if people contact us here at Common Threads, I believe we might be able to get them copies here locally. Uh, but it, we also are on the web, and somebody from Florida or England might be interested in something like this. I'd like to think that. Uh, is there a way they can obtain a copy? Because I know it's not just for sale at, at uh, your local bookstore. Sure, right. So, um, actually, the full PDF is available as a free download on the Aspen Institute website. And So, if you go to www.aspeninstitute.org slash JSP, Justice and Society Program, you'll see there's an Inclusive America uh, tab on the left side of the page, and you can click on the publication sub-tab and uh, download the whole thing in electronic form. 
And then also, um, I know that the Kaufman Interfaith Institute at Grand Valley State is giving out complimentary copies, so you could contact Doug Kinshi or Katie Gordon uh, for that. And I'm sure, Fred, that you at Common Threads could facilitate that. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So, yes, you contact us here at uh, Common Threads or interfaithdialogueassociation.org, and we'd be happy to uh, provide you a... Um, uh, a hard copy of the book. Joe, thank you so very much. We look forward to chatting with you next week. Sounds great. Thanks, Fred. This is Common Threads here on WGVU. I'm Fred Stella, and today our guest was Joe DeMott from the uh, in- the Aspen Institute. Thank you. And we're talking about uh, the recently published uh, book, The Report, Interfaith Engagement in West Michigan, A Brief History and Analysis. Please join us again next week here on WGVU. Common Threads is a production of WGVU in cooperation with the Interfaith Dialogue Association. The views and opinions expressed are not necessarily those of the station, its underwriters, or Grand Valley State University. In many cases, the participants on this program represent themselves and may not be designated spokespeople for the faiths they represent. Send questions and comments by email through our website, www.interfaithdialogueassociation.org Thank you for listening and join us again next week for another edition of Common Threads. We're, we're breathing the same air right now. Um, uh, literally, <laughs> really, we're really close together these days. Uh, so, yes, I, I agree that that is something that has uh, turned very, very positive. Um, and, and again, it is because we're able to say that we will welcome you at whatever place you are, whatever place you are comfortable at being, this is where... You have a seat at the table, right? That's 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 key, I think. Right. I, you know, I think sometimes uh, in the past there have been um, articulations of the interfaith message, of the interfaith agenda that sort of, at, at the beginning, exclude people who maybe have um, a strong belief or, or an exclusive belief that theirs is the only path to salvation or, or whatever. And so I think in West Michigan, especially in the past, few years with this year of interfaith understanding, um, that has been done really well. I think that's something that other communities can learn from. Um, and on the other side, as far as engaging non-religious people, um, sometimes we, uh, you know, in my studies, I would be looking at an interfaith movement or a local sort of interfaith organization where they would say, well, we just meet in churches, we rotate between these various churches, oh yeah, and there's a synagogue and a temple too, and we meet monthly or whatever. And uh, it strikes me, non-religious people who are now more than 20% of the population, and by non-religious I mean people who, um, if you ask them, say that they have no religious affiliation, and um, you know they're not going to be found in a church or a synagogue or a temple. They're not going to be part of this conversation if that's where we're meeting. And I think um, the way in West Michigan that the Year of Interfaith Understanding was able to partner with public institutions, secular institutions, you know, library, museum, symphony, public schools, to say this isn't about um, promoting faith or promoting any one faith. 
This is just about promoting accurate knowledge, promoting religious literacy, and promoting um, positive social relations between different groups that will turn the diversity in Grand Rapids into something positive rather than a source of division. So I think, I think really on both fronts, um, as far as expanding beyond just uh, theological liberals to include more of the theological conservatives and more of the non-religious, whether that's using the media, the partnerships with WGVU and with the Grand Rapids Press, or um, all the things I mentioned with the public institutions, I think that is, is quite innovative, actually. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Common Threads here on WGVU-FM. I'm Fred Stella, and Joseph DeMott is my guest. He is project manager of the Inclusive America Project, an initiative of the Aspen Institute Justice and Society Program. And we're talking about a publication that has recently come out that Joe had a tremendous amount to do uh, with, and that is Interfaith Engagement in West Michigan. A brief history and analysis, and at the end of the program, we'll tell you how you can get a copy of this if you are so interested. A couple of things. First of all, when you were talking about this uh, real liberal, watery-down kind of spirituality, you you might find it interesting that uh, at a, a planning session every year for, um, I believe now it's been 15 years uh, the community has put on an interfaith Thanksgiving worship service. And we, I, I know you know about this, Joe, that we've met at various churches and synagogues, and we have had programs and asked people to come representing their tradition, because one thing that we all have in common, there is no such thing as a religion, uh, at least that I've been introduced to, that uh, does not value gratitude. And uh, we've we've packed uh, religious institutions almost every year, even in extremely inclement weather. And one time during a planning session, um, we were we were proposing you know, we we would come to the table, if you will, with a prayer or a, a hymn, a chant, a reading, something like that. And we would review it, make sure that uh, everybody thought it was appropriate, and and reach consensus. And one time, uh, a rabbi said, uh, "You you Christians." Um, how come I never hear anything about Jesus? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, it's okay. <laughs> we know he's your guy. So, you know, you, you, you can say that. <laughs> I mean, it, clearly you, you do have to walk that line because uh, you don't want to, you don't want to sound so bland that nobody could understand, nobody could guess what religion are you representing? You know, what you've said is is so generic that I don't know whether you're a Christian, a Muslim, or a Buddhist, but at the same time, of course you really wouldn't want somebody coming into an interfaith uh, 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 prayer service like that and saying something extremely hardcore about, say, Jesus being the only way or anything, you know, for any any religion shouldn't come with that kind of message, but clearly there are enough sayings of Jesus <laughs> on, on Thanksgiving uh, uh, or, or somebody else from the, uh, the New Testament that, you know, it's, it's, it's not that hard. So the Christians did go back, do their homework, and they came back with something that was, you know, more Christian-sounding, <laughs> for lack of a better term. So Sure, sure. No, I mean, it makes sense, right? We, we each need to be able to be who we are at the interfaith table. We shouldn't have to sort of check our religious or non-religious identity at the door. Um, and, and, you know, you shouldn't have to change your beliefs about 
salvation or the identity of God or any of that, but you ought to be able to um, listen to other people's point of view, learn about it, um, and and interact with them respectfully and civilly. I think, you know, the Aspen Institute um, is not in any way affiliated with um, religion. It actually used to be called the Aspen Institute for Humanistic Studies, but we really feel strongly that from any perspective, including a, a government, uh, a state perspective, it's not about promoting religion, but it's about recognizing that how we engage the tremendous religious diversity of our country has important implications for our common life. Sure, sure. There's a part in this book that talks about some of uh, some of the ways we may have fallen short in our effort in 2012, and we're, we're happy to talk about them. What, what, what did you notice that, uh, that didn't happen that perhaps should have, or, or uh, who wasn't engaged that perhaps should have been engaged? Well, do you want me to focus on sort of the, um, the model itself or specifically what happened in 2012? Yeah, at this, at this point, yeah. Um, okay, I mean... One thing that we that I noticed in my research was just that um, certain groups can be underrepresented um, in this model. You know, really, in 2012, as I said, uh, and I think especially since then, there has been this effort to involve more evangelical Christians. But I think um, it, I think that uh, a lot of times, and, and this is really just what I heard from the people I interviewed that sometimes it felt like um, you'd go to several of these different events that were part of the Year of Interfaith Understanding, you'd see the same faces, and they said, how can we um, broaden, our, broaden our audience a little more? Um, and I think another thing that was not necessarily a shortcoming, but just a challenge for any other community that wants to try to use this model, is uh, that if your demographics look like West Michigan, that is if you have very small, not insignificant, but small um, Buddhist, Hindu, Jewish, Muslim communities and this very, very large Christian community, um, you're going to be placing heavy demands on the religious minorities if you're going to try to do 300 um, interfaith events in a year. I mean, if you want there to be um, some Jewish kids at your interfaith community service project and there are only 30 Jewish high schoolers at the local Reform Synagogue, and they have a hard enough time getting them to turn out uh, for, for their own events uh, with all of the extracurricular activities and the demands of school that they have going on. Um, it's just something to keep in mind that getting balanced representation when um, those communities are so small relative to the Christian population may be very difficult. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Absolutely. I think another, uh, and this is an ongoing issue, is bringing as many non-Abrahamic people to the table as we possibly can. And and that isn't always easy, number one, because the, the majority of the population here is Abrahamic. Uh, even with a relatively small Jewish population, still, when you add the Christians, Jews, and Muslims together, you get a, a significant uh, population. And there is so much um, tension between, uh, or among, I should say, those those three religions. I mean, there's just a lot of issues that those three religions have to talk about. That well, some, shared history. Huh? Shared, oh, they, they, yeah, they're shared, shared stories, shared history, shared scriptures. Absolutely, absolutely. And and so with that, there is so much of an effort to to put that 
at the forefront, and sometimes the minority, the non-Abrahamic religions, get get shifted to the back of the bus. But they, and then you have because you have so few people. It's just exactly what you said. You have so few people in the Sikh community, so few people in the in the Hindu community and Buddhist community uh, that getting people who are really going to be upfront and active from those uh, 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 worship communities is a little bit more of a challenge. You know, no, no question about it. No question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what, what do you see for uh, the future? I mean, did you walk away saying, uh, walk away from this project saying, okay, if things maintain uh, as they are, uh, I see this as a possible trajectory, or, or is that just too big for you to venture a guess? I mean, it's it's. Uh, I, I don't want to make any predictions on a grand scale. Um, certainly, don't feel qualified to do that. But I would say I'm just I'm really heartened by the uh, involvement of schools like Kuiper and Cornerstone, um, Calvin, uh, you know, Aquinas. Um, I'm really glad to see these religiously affiliated colleges in Grand Rapids recognizing that even if. Um, their mission is to instill a particular Christian worldview in their students, that their students are going to go out into a wider world where they're going to encounter all sorts of worldviews, and that teaching their students, equipping their students to have um, constructive, respectful interactions with people from dinner, different faiths is, uh, is something they should value and strive for. I think that's, I think that's great, and I hope that um, they'll continue to build on that at all of those different institutions, you know, you know, the conference for um, uh, the annual conference that the Kaufman Interfaith Institute does uh, with the West Michigan Academic Consortium this year was a cornerstone, and I thought it was just great um, that they would be willing to host something like that, and that they were able to come and say, "Here's who we are. We want to learn something about um, about others and share share um, share our identity and and think about how we can live together." Um, productively. No question. And and that also goes for the consortium that uh, makes up our advisory panel for Grand Dialogue, which has been happening now for uh, about a decade. Um, yeah, I'm assuming you studied that as well, Grand Dialogue? Yeah, just, just a bit. That's, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We just had a conference uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, you know, very impressive turnout, and it was about Islam and evolution, and the vast majority of people were from Christian backgrounds. The vast majority, just willing to, uh, willing to say, "Okay, this isn't my tradition. Uh, I either believe in evolution or don't believe in evolution." Uh, uh, and and but but how Muslims feel does not affect my life. Yet I have the intellectual and spiritual curiosity to to to, to find out how this. Uh, this subject affects a religion different from myself. I, I, I was very heartened by the very positive response we, we had on that. Uh, very quickly, we, we have just a few minutes, Joe, but I was uh, curious. Um, I read your bio at the beginning of the, uh, of the show, which indicates that you uh, have a degree from Notre Dame in, in both theology and philosophy. You have a master's in comparative religions uh, from... Uh, Hebrew University, and you will be uh, you will be uh, obtaining a law degree 
you're working towards a law degree starting in the fall. It, can you tell us what your end game is? <laughs> do you ha- do you, or is this is this a, a secret? You, you you're gonna have to kill me if you tell me. Uh, no, no. If only I knew, right? Um, <laughs> no, it's just uh, through the Justice and Society program over the past couple of years, I've gotten exposed to a lot of different um, legal issues. We do some fascinating events. Uh, we we had one on the um, Cambodia War Crimes Tribunal where we were able to bring in one of the judges from that court and uh, the current and the former ambassador at large for um, for human rights. Um, or for war crimes issues, rather, um, from the State Department's Office of Human Rights. Um, I mean, that was fascinating. I, I got to attend a Supreme Court oral argument a few months ago. I think I've just gotten exposed to a lot of legal issues that I find extremely interesting. And um, law school seemed like a good fit, but uh, I, I know I've got a lot to learn. I, I can't say exactly where I'll wind up. But it sounds like now you are still maintaining a position of uh, of some sorts with with uh, Aspen, or do you have to quit to go to school? No, actually, yeah, I'm I'm going to be um, resigning my position in a couple weeks here and uh, doing school full time out at Stanford. Wow, wow. Well, best of luck. That's that's very exciting. Very exciting. Thanks so much, Fred. It's been a pleasure to uh, to be on the show. Certainly. Uh, so let's wrap up here by quickly mentioning that, again, I've been speaking with uh, Joseph DeMott. He was one of the people involved in the publication of Interfaith Engagement in West Michigan, A Brief History and Analysis. Uh, as mentioned last week, if you would like a hard copy of this, you can contact us at interfaithdialogueassociation.org. And if you are local, we'll do our very best to get you a hard copy. However, uh, Joe, let us know how you can get an e-copy. Sure. Um, the full PDF is available as a free download um, from the Aspen Institute website. If you just go to www.aspeninstitute.org and then um, backslash JSP for Justice and Society Program, you'll see the Inclusive America Project tab, and it's under the sub-tab publications. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, Joe, thanks one more time, and uh, best of luck in your future endeavors. Thanks, Fred. Take care. This is WGVU's Common Threads. I'm Fred Stella, and speaking with me today, Joseph DeMott uh, from the Aspen Institute. Please join us again next week right here on Common Threads. Common Threads is a production of WGVU in cooperation with the Interfaith Dialogue Association. The views and opinions expressed are not necessarily those of the station, its underwriters, or Grand Valley State University. In many cases, the participants on this program represent themselves and may not be designated spokespeople for the faiths they represent. Send questions and comments by email through our website, www.interfaithdialogueassociation.org. Thank you for listening and join us again next week for another edition of Common Threads.